Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another weekly episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. For episode 163, I believe this one is, Drew and I are finishing off uh, Sons of the Oak by David Farland. And I really don't have much else to, to get insert here into my intro because... I have just finished having my mind blown apart by what I have just <laughs> witnessed happen in this book. And so I just need to beg to pass this off to Drew so that he can begin us with our recap and I can start to collect my thoughts because, oh my God, Drew, <laughs> explain. Okay. Before I go into the summary, <sighs> patreon.com slash speaking oh, out loud, yes. all that fun stuff. Oh, I cool. forgot. Moving on. Oh, yeah. Uh, check us out. The second half of David Farland's Sons of the Oak represents in many ways a dramatic departure from what we've come to expect from the four and a half previous books. The Leviathan continues on its course to Landisfallen, and Falion strengthens his relationship with Captain Stalker, but the weather has a curveball to throw. A storm ruins the ship, forcing them to limp to Sindillion, Shadowath's main island, and the home of her fortress and palace. Borenson, Rihanna, and the boys leave ship early, hoping to hide out while Stalker repairs it, but Blythe betrays them to Shadowath. Strangy Sots and Evil Bright Ones find them on the beach, wounding Borenson and taking Falion and Jazz prisoner. Rihanna is captured as well, but Merima and Smoker manage to save Borenson. Shadowath chains Jazz and Falion in her dungeons, eventually turning Jazz to her side. Merima and Smoker hatch a plan to rescue them, however, and with the help of Shadowath's daughter, Valya, managed to break all the prisoners loose, except for Rihanna, who was forced to give an endowment of wit to Shadowath's son's pet sea ape. During the escape, Smoker sacrifices himself, turning into a tremendous fire elemental and grievously wounding Shadowath. The Leviathan escapes with the princes and flees to Landisfallen. Five years pass, during which time Shadowath's influence creeps across Rofhaven. Eventually, she receives word that the boys are still in Landisfallen, and Falion is now a captain in the Guardine. She mobilizes her armies and attacks Garion's port. Falion and the rest of the Grok riders flee to a secret outpost with Jazz and Valya in tow. Borenson hurries to warn the main Guardine force at Stillwater, but Shadowath moves too quickly. Soon after Falion leaves to track her dedicates, she discovers the outpost. Falion arrives at the island with her dedicates keep, where he drives off two Strangi Sots before facing down Shadowath's son, Abravael, and his sea ape. He heads into the dedicates keep and discovers two things. One, Rihanna is alive and there. And two, all of Shadowath's dedicates are children. He struggles with his morality, uncertain whether he can kill children in order to defeat her. As he decides, the sea ape dies and Rihanna awakens. She takes Falion's knife and tries to kill one of the dedicates, but Falion stops her. As he opens himself to his flame weaving, he discovers that Rihanna is the host of a locus. And not just any locus, but Asgaroth himself. Falion uses his powers to mortally wound Asgaroth, who flees. Meanwhile, back in Landisfallen, Shadoweth slaughters the children Grok Riders and kills her own daughter for betraying her. Before she can continue, however, Asgroth warns her that the Torchbearer has awakened, and he succumbs to his wounds. Terrified that a locust has been killed, Shadoweth flees to the Netherworld with her army. Falion chases her down and kills her body, leaving the locust wounded but alive to flee. 
he returns to Landisfallen, where the Borensons settle down in their own little slice of paradise. Felion discovers where Gaborn died and begins reading his journal. Sons of the Oak closes with a warning, as Felion has discovered that the splintered worlds are reconverging, and he must seek out Avarin in the underworld, or else all creation may be destroyed. Okay, deep breath. <clears throat> this is the greatest f-ing book I've read since the release of Oathbringer. <laughs> and I had made a, I think, I think I had made a point to go back and check our, you know, history of, of past episodes. That's how I said. I think this is one sixty three when we're starting off here. Uh, I, I, th- I honestly think this is the best since I've read since I read Oathbringer for the first time. Uh, the as far Dang. as going right into our style, you know. It was about perfect, in my opinion. I'm not a fan of the sparse prose, but at no point was that ever an issue in this book. With this insane pace that we've had from page one, picking up with such an ominous terror from Gaborn and his death, and the approach of the Strangisaths, and the arrival of the Lokai, and Shadowath, and Askaroth, and the the prophecies of the Torchbearer, and this never-ending fight or flight. This hit every note that I wanted it to, and more. It was incredible. Hell yeah. Oh, I love it. I'm oh. so glad you enjoyed this book. Oh my God. I, I, I yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I, I kind of knew, you know, I said this last episode, but the way you left Lara Bones and you wanted more of the, mm. the deep lore. Yeah. I was like, oh, Rob, <laughs> just wait. Yes. I just like oh, now, now you know that, you know, Gaborn's conflict with Rajatan and the Reavers is is just they were just pawns yeah. you know like even some of the revelations like you knew that there was a locus in the one true master of the Reavers that the one true master of evil yeah. was the locus mm-hmm. in the Reaver Queen yes. but we didn't know in Lair of Bones that Scathane was a locus that Rajatan yeah was the host of a locus. We didn't know that until this book. You know, it, we find out that so much of what came before was just kind of the opening salvo in a bigger war. My God. I just, I, I can't get over how it ended with Shadowath's retreat in terror. Shadowath's retreat in terror of all things. And Falion still doing his thing. But the, this... This follow-up bittersweet reunion, too, with the only remains of his father. This is setting up our, our next adventure, I hope, you know, which is going to be the just journey to the heart of the earth to see the wizard as Avaran, who the three most hyped words in this book. I'm yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm on hype right now. I'm just going to dive it. Like, I'm digging into the hype. I'm doubling down on it. I'm ending this book with as <laughs> much hype as I experienced, both at the beginning and during our big climax. This book is a blast from page one to the last. I just... Yes. Oh, it, it's not to say it it doesn't have the uh, uh, the occasional little snag like i still i think even i'm starting to notice some of these little snags and i think it's i'm assuming it's editing repetition of words you know uh-huh. um in chapter 38 smoker sacrifices himself and shadowath needs to run you know she throws herself into the pool twice did you notice that yep Yep. Her right eye was blind, her left eye seemed cloudy, she could barely see. She ran to her private garden where a reflecting pool lay and threw herself in. And about a minute later, you know, I say a minute because I was on audiobook for this portion, uh, even though I, mm-hmm. I finished on, on, on text. Reeling from pain, Shadowath threw herself into the reflecting pool and rolled, <laughs> extinguishing the flames. And I was like, what? <laughs> she was already in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just little things like that. But 
there's no way that they're even on this like they're even noticeable for more than a second around everything else that's happening totally forgivable totally yeah so the the two biggest things i want to talk about with style uh go back to kind of how i opened my summary where i said that this is a very different book yeah from what we got used to in the first four and and it's interesting because the pace of this book, like you said, is insane. It's so fast. Like he wastes no time a- anywhere. It's like if if there's a moment in the timeline of this book where something crazy isn't happening, it's a not in the book. <laughs> we're not yeah. going to spend time on. Oh, yeah, that. it's like going like, into we're page. Just go, go, go. Going to chapter and forty-three. Five years later, and then, what, what? What? Yeah, what, exactly. What? 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that brings me to my point is that this is by far the fastest paced book in the Rune Lords so far, but also takes place over way more time. Uh, and and this is the real stylistic departure. I don't know if you remember this or, or how well you remember the first four books, but those four books take place over like thirteen days total. Oh my god! Really? I would have yeah, said like, like two, three months. Yeah, like book ha- is split up into days. And like the sum of all men starts at like the end of, of a, a month. And then it turns over to the next month at yeah. the end of the book. And then the next three books take place over like the first two weeks of the next month. It's, it's crazy uh, how much happens in such a short time span. And then here, there are no divisions in the book there aren't parts there aren't days there aren't there's nothing like that and it takes place over like five and a half years (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it's it's crazy you know it's such a difference from what he did in the earth king series Hmm. but it's it's and i'm finding it more enjoyable for it and again i don't know if this is because this was at the very beginning of our podcast coverage of anything three years ago in our in our first 10 episodes or so and uh, like i said last episode i was at a really just kind of stressful nerve-wracking part of my life so maybe i just wasn't be able to appreciate it as much but i don't recall having the wonder having the sheer fist pumping oh my god is this really happening right now that i had so many times in this book i mean I was going through so, my favorite scenes at the end, yeah. and I'd I'd forgotten one, and I was like, "Oh my god, that happened in the first one!" I just I it, it was I never thought that I would have forgotten that scene because it was so touching at the time. I was like, "This is already going to be on my favorites," and it was just completely forgotten until I was going into my favorite scenes and trying to decide through them. It's just so much in this book happening. Yeah, I think one of the reasons. So you used the word hype there. Mm. Um, one of the reasons you may not not have gotten that feeling in the first four books is that the principal point of view of course is is Gaborn and as the Earth King he's doing a lot more like internal moral battleground stuff than like big epic fights you know like he until the very end of Lair of Bones, when he gets all of these endowments channeled to him through the vectors that Iome set up, he's not really doing the fighting. He has to think his way around the problems, and his armies are doing the fighting around him. And then Borenson, who's like the big warrior character, he loses his endowments pretty early on, and 
and he's dealing with internal battleground stuff. And a lot of his conflict is like his relationship with Mirama. And so our point of view character isn't doing the big flashy action stuff. But at the end of this book with Falion, he absolutely is. You know, he's the one who's the like mega powerful magic user. And so there's a different feel to it, a different tone to the climax of the book. Yeah, there's there's so much more glory going on in Falion's part than I was prepared for. Are, sure, are, are we done with anything style? Should we go into Falion or is it more style oriented that you want to talk about? Because I'm ready to jump right into characters, but I'll give you the chance to continue with style if you want. No, I think I think I'm done with style. If if anything occurs to me, I can just bring it up in miscellaneous. This, this is so much glory. It's like I'm concerned about Falian's future. I'm hoping he doesn't go as dark as we're concerned he can. You know, um, oh, he's a flame weaver. <laughs> I was I was getting ready for a large portion of this to smack myself for comparing Falian with Paul Atreides last episode from Dune. Like, if those who remember, I was trying to figure out why is it that Falian works for me in a way that Paul doesn't um and then soon enough of course we're going in this in this half of the book suddenly Falion's away and he's living in another land and he's amalgamating with another more ancient people gaining their respect and we're flash forwarding <laughs> years and i'm going oh crap but i've still got four books of rune lords out of the way by this point for context so it's like you know this he's not only rising to political and magical power but he's also going through a perfect character arc of his own even better what Falion's arc means for Borinsens and how it ties into that is just, yeah. Oh my God. It was insane. It was so much Epic. It was so good. I'm just, I, this episode's going to be so full of expletives. Cause I'm, 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 I have so much internal pressure from how excited I am over getting into this <laughs> next book in, in large part, just because of how awesome Falion was like how much he fulfilled in promise in the second half of this book. It was, huh. Oh boy. Yeah, Falion is much more the like traditional hero character uh, here than any character we got in the in the first four, even Gaborn, um, because of that. You know, the fact that Falion is more involved in the action uh, than Gaborn ever was. Mm. So, uh, but I still like Rihanna is, I think, the most interesting character of the new cast. Oh, um, yeah. It, okay. Because she she has the darkness in her. You know, we literally at, at, at the end of the God. book when he discovers that she's the host for Asgaroth. But, you know, at the end of the book when they come back and they realize you know, they, like Falion is smiling because he's happy. And then we immediately have the contrast with Rihanna where she doesn't smile and she's emotionally scarred and eventually develops this like trauma response where she has completely blanked her memories well, oh of that's just a, the strangy sauce i was gonna say that i was just gonna you assume know, that was like, magical in nature because of her you know removing her wit and then restoring her wit and like something got lost in translation and you know impacted her yeah, her, her mind that way but it's she's she's so much more of a a complicated character than Falion is at this point. And that's why I like her more. Yeah. Yeah. When, when Falion found the dedicates and he saw nothing but children, I need to yeah. speak to this moment, uh, this unparalleled moment of horror as a reader, not 
only because of the nature of what it is that Fallian is finding, but because you suddenly realize, if you've been paying attention, why Borenson's PTSD has become a focus point on his side of the story. And with the mm-hmm. dire prophecies about Fallian's future coming into play, all of this came together in this moment of beautiful, horrifying, exquisite just realization. This is the kind of move that I can only envy as an amateur writer, because like this entire book is a showca- a showcase of an incredible author at the top of his game, or what I assume is the top of his game, but oh my god, what's going to happen in the next few? <laughs> Bring it. I just... Mm. Falion was so much wind towards the end of this book. Like, I was legitimately pumping my fist in, in, in excitement as Shadowath was retreating in horror. It was... Ah... Uh, Fallion's a, Fallion's a character that's going to stick I'm with me so going forward, glad. man. Oh my god, yeah. But we, we do have to. We can, I can like, talk about Rihanna your, as well. Go to your excitement has like increased my excitement. Oh, you know, like I, going You're... in, I was looking forward to rereading these books and eventually reading Chaos Bound for the first time because I just n- never, never got around to it. And uh, that's the last one, right? Uh, world yeah, binder is the next one yeah it's world binder then the wormling horde and then chaos bound okay, okay. Um, and i shouldn't say i never got around to reading chaos bound i started reading it and i was put off between like i was i was kind of unsatisfied back in the day with with the wormling horde and okay. then i was turned off by some of the narrative choices at the beginning of chaos bound. And I don't know if, if those carry throughout the book or not, because I, I DNF'd it, Um, but I'm, I'm really curious to see if my opinion changes on the wormling horde. And I kind of suspect it will because the, when I first read that book, I was reading, looking for different things than I do now. And I I suspect I'm going to appreciate that book more as a, you know, 32 year old actively writing educated, you know, big boy. Yeah. Professional. Like uh, that. I'm, I'm a very different person from when, man, when did, when did Wormling Horde come out? Like, uh, I'm just joking. I have no godly idea. This could have been, it it may be. Oh wait. Yeah. Yeah. It was away. Are you kidding me? I was just, that was a rectal conjuration, Jude. I nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um yeah, so so that came out right after I started college. That was my fall semester of my freshman year. Like I'm a very different reader yeah. <laughs> than I was then. So I uh, I'm looking forward to it. But but it is interesting that I'm like I said I'm a very different reader than I was then and Sons of the Oak back when it came out was my favorite. And now I'm I'm not sure if this is still my favorite of the five that we've read, uh, but it's it's not far behind if it's not my favorite. Like I yeah. still liked this book a great deal. Oh yeah, this this tier five so, book. This this is odd. That's the very top for me. Oh my goodness, I. I, I wish where do I begin with Rihanna because you had brought up Rihanna. I haven't had my chance to rant about Rihanna yet. Uh, her future could go one of so many different ways each more dramatic and or dark or bright than the other she's got such a volatility with her future that, that a lot of other characters don't in this uh series and it's really interesting i just i wasn't expecting this five-year time skip at like the two-thirds point of the book i was worried she'd never get free of uturu which also by the way a drink to uturu i'd like to raise a drink right now to, to uturu 
who absolutely yep. was not appreciated by that slimy prick Abravail in any yeah. way. This is a drink here, Turu. Rest in peace. I still got to hope mm-hmm. for a Rihanna though. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about her memory and her trauma being erased. Like, cause on you know on one hand, short term great for her mental well being perhaps, but I, that's a very <laughs> temporary solution. A band aid I see, band aid for this kind of wound no less is um, no oh boy. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they were highly speculating that she's probably sterile at this point from her earlier trauma. So how are how is she going to deal with this having no memory of what actually happened? How is she going like? How much conflict and heartbreak lies in Rihanna's future? That's what I want to know. And it's, oh boy, can she have children someday? What could this drive her to consider doing? She has, she has so much potential on every side of the spectrum for bringing things crashing down around everyone. And none of it in any way is her fault. So I just, no. I worry for her. I, I worry so much for her, but it could also be just as glorious as I found Fallians too, so. Yeah, so this is one thing that I... I wonder, maybe, maybe this creeps into a style thing, but I think it's m- more important to talk about it in terms of the character discussion. Yeah, okay. Um, in a lot of ways in this book, she is a pretty classic damsel in distress. Uh, Rihanna doesn't have a whole lot of agency in Sons of the Oak. Uh, she's captured that. twice and rescued twice. And in neither situation does she really do much to help. And you could even argue she's captured three times if you want to count Asgaroth as something separate from having to give the endowment. Because, you know, she's saved yeah. from the endowment by Falion killing Uturu. And then she's saved from Asgaroth by Falion embracing you know, his awakening nature. to his, his <laughs> flame weaving. The, oh man, yeah. when I flipped that page and I saw the Torchbearer on that to start off the next chapter yeah. on 49, it was this moment. Okay, we're going to talk about it later. It's just, oh my God, it's bubbling up and I can't stop it. So much about this book. I still still have so much to talk about in this book. Jazz. Can you talk about Jazz? Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Rihanna. And, oh, and sorry. The continue. Sorry, sorry. Continue. Yeah. Um, it's. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we have a damsel in distress. Uh, I think, you know, obviously it's a trope. It's a, a lot of people would say it's a tired trope at this point. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, I'd, I'd agree with that. Perhaps less. Um, so. But I don't think it's a bad thing in this instance. Um, I'm, I'm also speaking with some uh, foreknowledge, you know, of yeah. what's coming in, in <laughs> The next couple of books. As you tend to do, yeah. Uh, but I think it makes sense. This is a really short book, a really fast-paced book. And if he had tried to make Rihanna as central a character as Falion was, this book may have gotten a little bloated. Uh, it certainly wouldn't have been the breakneck chase and adventure that it is now. And I, I think that was something that was likely on Wolverton's mind when he was plotting this book. Uh, clearly, he's he's setting up Rihanna for more than just being, you know, a, a cardboard cut out of a yeah. woman that Falion needs to go and save. And then he gets the girl at the end because that's, you know, not how it plays out. But... 
but so much of what makes the chase work is the pace and the tension in the story. And if he had to take the time out to develop Rihanna and give her agency to work through these problems herself, that would have slowed down that pacing and it would have released the tension from the chase, you know? Yeah. Like, I I think this book needed to be breakneck. Mm. And so, yes, we get points of view from Rihanna, but we also get points of view from uh, Mirama and Borenson and Jazz. Oh, God, so touching. And even Iome. Iome, yeah. Um, But like Rihanna, we don't get a whole ton of character development. None of them have like full arcs the way Falion does. Mm. So, yeah, I'd say Borenson does, but you know, other than him, it's just, oh, I just thought. See, I I don't really think he does because. I know we'll we'll save that. Talk about jazz. Talk about jazz. Okay. I was worried with jazz that we were going to get this whole uh, for those who have read it, this whole zero from the gap cycle sort of issue with him after his imprisonment. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad it didn't go that far though. Um, I'm really <laughs> hopeful, conversely, for jazz. Hell, I'd like I'd like I'd like him to be the one who saves the day in the end after Falion does whatever it is in his nature that he needs to do. I would just like it to be one more little thing for jazz to do and finish it off he has so much shadow to try and fill and is in his life and he does nothing but look up to Falion and support him and it's got me optimistic on his front more optimistic than i am entirely about Falion's future anyway as bright as it burns obviously and figuratively but jazz i, I have hope for and i want to see more from jazz i'm really really glad we dodged that potentially heartbreaking and infuriating bullet of you know this yeah this this darker path that i could have gone on yeah, uh, it's funny. I didn't even think of Ciro Vasashk. Yeah, uh, but oh, You're I can definitely now, aren't you? see it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah wow, that when, that could have gone a very different way. Yeah, with especially talking about how gorgeous Shadowath is and how helpless everybody is to her her sheer aura, and, uh-huh. and just oh god. And he starts calling for her as they're escaping. I'm just going, oh no, Farland, what are you doing with this? Poor- boy come on don't do him like that but no he didn't do him like that thank you farland may you rest in peace yes um anything else about jazz or shall we just jump on borenson um phrasing uh yeah let's let's move on to borenson because i i want to push back a little bit on how you 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 said he thought he had a full arc he has a beginning and an end a complete arc but he doesn't really do anything to change himself um, he he's there more as like a helper for Falion, and then incidentally, like again, he doesn't. Bornson doesn't have a whole lot of agency in in this book. Like even even in at the end, we get points of view from him where he's like, "I gotta, you know, get on my range it and and make this incredibly difficult trek through the desert to to the fortress to warn them in time." And by the time he gets there, everything's already taken care of and over. You know, Falion's already defeated Shadowath. And and it's like, so Borenson doesn't do a whole lot other than be a surrogate father figure. He starts off with with this, as a stranger to us, he's this man who who no longer has his endowments and and how jarring that is for us to try and get used to. And then he has to start considering his 
history and his scars and his impact in negative on the world and how it could ultimately lead to this example for Fallian and how Fallian managed to turn that on its head and how Borenson managed to save himself with I don't, just just being a good father figure or someone equivalent to Fallian and, and being able to tr- not, not, not pay off a, like, no, no, it's not a redemption, but it's a balancing of a moral debt in some way. As he, as he finally learns about Fallian's ultimate choice, like I just, it was, I, I loved it. I loved where Borenson started. I loved where it ended. It wasn't full. It didn't have everything, perhaps, but it had. It was complete in its own smaller way, and I thought it was yeah. perfect. Like, oh, yeah. and Mira must pardon it, it too. It, just... I do really like the way it ends for him mm. because, like, he was such a tragic character in the first series. Dude, he's. He's going to die like, soon, right? He's going to die that, soon. That guy had absolute hell to go through in the first four books. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And and now, finally, he gets his paradise at the end. And it's like, all right, you know, you, you deserve this, man. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think he's, he's always been vibes. one of my favorite characters. He's giving me the going to die soon vibes. He's, I'm predicting mm. first half of the next book or second half of the next book. I don't give him more than one book. Okay. So well, read and find out. Yeah, yeah. My last character, unless you have more Some, on Borenson. Something tells me it's not going to take you long to read. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, if I'm being <laughs> entirely honest. Um, Shadowath is my last character to discuss for today. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is actually good. I I have a miscellaneous point about her, but I can wrap this in. Cool. Yeah, she's the one... F- thread that fell a little flat for me in this book she seems to generically all-encompassingly irrationally even counterproductively evil i get that's kind of her thing counting her origins her pure evil nature but a world this rich and vibrant and exciting should have an equally intriguing or engaging antagonist which we didn't have in shadow in my opinion for me i she felt so much like the black company's soul catcher just causing mayhem defeated and Always waiting in the wings, always ready to bring things crashing down, never really having any sort of inner conflict or arc of her own besides anything like, I'm here to ruin your day. That's just, I hope it doesn't go that route. I hope she doesn't get defeated half a dozen times before the end of the series. But uh, we do still have the one true master and whatever the hell is going on there. So I would love to. So uh, that is my miscellaneous point. Yeah, sweet. Um, We're vibing. It this. sounds like. In your mind, Shadoweth and the One True Master are different. Yes. I, I'm After still, for some this, reason, I'm... I think that's the case. But for sure, the first time I read this book, I was under the impression that she was the One True Master of Evil. Yeah, I didn't get that vibe until the end when she ran away. And I was like, oh, so if there's something that can scare her like this, or she's not ready for this yet, there's got to be someone bigger and badder than she is. So yeah, not... yeah, I don't like, and I don't remember well enough from Worldbinder and Wormling Horde, uh, if that gets reconciled. But like, I I just have such a strong memory of thinking that, like, Asgroth's master is the one true master. And then here, Asgoroth's master is Shadowath. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Shadowath is the one true master. Oh, yeah. um, I thought that's exactly what I thought until these last chapters. Yep, exactly yeah. what I thought. Yep. And, but like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so I'm, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to reading onward, rereading onward uh, to see if that gets more explicit. Uh, yeah. 
That's a self raffle. Those are rare. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I can understand and I can, I can sympathize with your opinion on her a little bit. Uh, I definitely get, I was going to say more, more like um, first book lady vibes uh, where um, uh, maybe you can't see the confused not. look on my maybe face right not. now, but I'm going to try and insert it into my voice. What? Yeah. No, like as, I'm not sure how to describe it. Like, I see what you mean with Soulcatcher, but I'm like she doesn't just strike me as chaotic as so Soulcatcher evil does. as the counterproductively evil. Like even, even like Falion and others, of course, Falion's going to have a very distorted worldview on his up with his upbringing and stuff like that. But others are recognizing it's like she she she's not she can't even be properly evil. She's so evil. <laughs> she's not so like. What do you think she did that was counterproductive? Um. The, or what is she currently doing? She, the, the, her the way in which she rules in in that nobody everybody's going to tell her. I think it was a weakness. I, I want to say it was Jazz or Fallon recognizes. this. People are going to tell her whatever the hell they want. They think she wants to hear, and so that's going to screw her because she's going to have so much more difficulty finding correct information because everybody is always afraid of being done having things done to them that they can't even you know have nightmares about. Like so, I think she's going to. She's just going to have a lot of logistical problems because of the amount of terror and the amount of fear and consistency in that fear that she strikes in everyone around her. But that didn't happen in this book. She didn't struggle mm. with incorrect information. In I this think. Book. Okay, so I will say that's a prediction. I, I just, I, okay. it's kind of unbelievable to me. She's beyond belief, kind of evil in the fact that I just can't believe this isn't happening at the moment. It's kind of causing a little bit of a dissonance in me. Huh. All right. Interesting. Yeah, I, I did not get that sense from her um she she didn't strike me as as insane as crazy as Soulcatcher. so yeah um, there, there was a moment where she's holding a baby and i was like no 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 don't oh, do with, this with uh, don't do this. yeah and then she yeah, didn't or sage okay. i don't remember which one was the youngest yeah yeah one of the oh god but uh the, the fact that I was in that moment, I was, I was ready to believe it. I was ready for it to happen. And I wasn't even going to bad night. I was going to be like, holy crap, this is dark. But just, I don't know. Yeah. I hope I get a little more dimension, a little more why, a little more reason, a little more, a little, just a little more you know, everything for if we're, if we're going to have her as a primary threat going forward. Okay. All right. Miscellaneous. Um. Yeah, miscellaneous. So uh, I realized I did have another style point, and I can oh, bring this yeah, up here. Oh, hit me. Uh, just wanted to touch on the uh, omniscient narrator once again. Ah. Uh, there was actually one point that I noticed that, like, really jarred me and pulled me out, where it changed point of view mid-sentence. Oh, I didn't notice it this time. Like the it? whole scene, I, and I don't remember which page it was. Unfortunately, I'm yeah, I'm reading this book in like a physical hardcover, um, and I I forgot to mark it down. But there's a scene where, uh, if it may have been, may have been when Rihanna gives the, or no, no, I think it was during a Smoker and Shadowath's like showdown thing. There's a whole scene where it's like from Shadowath's point of view, and then you get into the last sentence of the scene, and mid sentence it changes to somebody else looking at the way Shadowath is looking at them, and I was like, "What? Like, 
it was really jarring. Uh, like, like I could, I got used to the omniscient narrator head hopping paragraph to paragraph, but like when we head hopped mid sentence, that was, I was like, okay, okay, Wolverton, <laughs> chill. Like, <laughs> it's a little nausea inducing. I can see like a whip camera going around a little too fast, and it's just like, okay, hold on. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. too. Depending on how immersed you are into this, I imagine it's a lot easier to read objectively. Maybe just, just jump into it opening it from a fresh page maybe you're, you have your morning coffee you're sitting down on a sunday but when you're hours in and you're invested you are your entire soul and your being is inside this story and then something like that happens the perspective can be a little more jarring i imagine like just flailing around on you like that yeah um, yeah yeah i i want to hear from you though it's like i don't want to get too much Regarding. into the lore stuff since i know more um predictions you mean yeah, like predictions are just how you're feeling about so, the new mythos that we're uh, getting into. So Bornson's going to die soon. Rihanna's going to have a dark future all d- through no fault of her own. It's going to be tragic as hell. Um, she's going to have like a sacrifice play of some sort to save Fallion. It's going to leave her a lot of conflict for Fallion in the future. As far as the mythos, as far as the deep world building lore goes, the fact that all of those children were bright ones scared the crap out of me that's that terrified me not just them being children but then the fact that they're they're all they were all bright ones and and what the hell that could possibly mean for soul catcher's ability uh shadow s sorry oh my god oh god <laughs> let's censor that one please oh yeah, Jesus. yeah i'm not trying to do that i'm getting far too deep in my comparisons with other st- with other series here i have to let this one breathe and stand on its own um <laughs> Uh, the torchbearer what is going to happen here we have an earth king we kind of have a fire king now so my goodness i don't even know where to, I, there's there's so many large pieces that i i'm, I'm struggling to see how they would fit but I, you, there's so much to observe in their perspective i can't um throw throw something at me perhaps like give me something to work with and i'll, I'll tell you what i think is going to happen to a certain person is there anybody that you want a particular prediction on or a an event um no like not necessarily some foggy just, future knowledge like uh, I, i'm curious to see to hear what you think about the by the end of this book dramatic shift away from endowments and rune lords to elemental magic <laughs> oh boy like uh, you go the whole book where they still have Fallion's unused forcibles and Fallion's like no nah, like i'm not taking endowments i didn't no it was jazz that was like saving those ones right and he, he had felt so terrible about buying his life with you know everyone all the other ones lives and everything i just yeah the, the fact that that why was it that the one true master in the first four books was apparently attacking to destroy all of the blood metal in the ground what, what what is the significance of that, particularly in in the one true master's plans when Shadowath apparently or whatever is larger than she is that may be lurking, that has this this much larger, grander scheme with binding like bringing these trillion worlds back together and and, and it's just God I can't even I don't know I don't know <laughs> I'm just throwing words yeah. into a cyclone and hoping that they paint a picture yeah i can't I, I really don't know i'm gonna be able to tell you 15 different things probably in the middle of the next book but <laughs> for now i'm just kind of yeah okay left in that post book hangover where because i remember the first time i read this uh i was disappointed 
What? Like I was always way more into the whole endowments oh, and rewards and dedicates gotcha. thing than I was the earth, fire, water, We're getting air. Endowments from creatures now. Like what is going on with that? Yeah, lots of new lots of new creatures. Yeah. No no reavers. No reavers, no toth, but we got stringy sots and sea apes and uh uh go- goliaths. Yeah. And, and what's yeah. the significance of a of 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 <laughs> endowments from bright ones as opposed to just the regular public? Oh god. Well well bright ones, I mean, they they're smarter, they have stronger senses. So they're those faster, are faster, they're more graceful. Those would translate you know? in scale? Like Yeah. Yeah. And you'd get more like if if you take an endowment from a a child of strength, it's not gonna give you as much as if you take an endowment from like a bodybuilder. Okay. That made that actually makes far more sense. I like that. Yeah. I love that we're still being very metric with this. It's cool. Um Yeah. Uh I learned a couple of new words. Mm, mm-hmm. Timpanum or tympanum. I've never heard that before. Oh, he loved that he word. He loved that book. one. He used it six times. I counted it in this book. A hearing organ <laughs> in gland or, or gland in frogs or toads that are ovals on each side of their heads. And the second word I learned, I'm not sure how to pronounce this one. I want to say sowing or soughing. S-O-U-G-H-I-N-G. A uh, moaning. Sighing. I think that's another spelling of sighing. No, I, I, I looked it up. I have a definition for it. A moaning, really? whistling, whistling, or rushing sound of the wind or trees or the ocean, soughing. Yeah, I, I always, um, I, I always thought it was sigh. Huh. Okay. Because it basically means like, like trees sighing. You know. That's what. I, that's exactly like, how the context I got. That's the vibe I got. Yeah. From it, so I just continued. I didn't look it up until we like a minute before we went live, and I was doing. Yeah. My in notes. fact, I just looked it up. Uh, sow or suff, both are accepted pronunciations yeah. and uh the third definition is a sighing rustling or murmuring sound mm. huh mm. Oh. well today i learned like i knew the word but i guess i didn't pronounce it right Forgot that's, to talk. that's one of those classic cases of uh <laughs> i'd never heard the word used i'd only read it <laughs> just inserted it with context immediately um or interpreted it through context immediately um i forgot yeah. to talk about valia did you do anything else anything about valia that you wanted to discuss I'm so bro- um, I had broken. completely forgotten this character existed, yeah. and I finished the book, and I was like, "Well, that's why I forgot about her." Yeah, I was like, "What the hell? Come on!" That was like, so nothing. There was like not really any girl purpose, yeah, to her well, other than to have like a really sad, tragic why it's death. More tragic. It's just like whatever. We we got another reference to Dalen of the Black Hammer. Where the hell are we gonna find this guy? Where is he? What is? Jeez. Going on here, I'm just expressing Raffo. some frustration with this. <laughs> um, the hmm. biggest Raffo, the biggest Raffo, really? Okay, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Taking, I'm write that one down. Um, I am done with my miscellaneous, believe it or not. I mean, I had some, I wanted to raise some drinks to a couple other characters. We could just do that in our uh final scenes if you'd like. Uh, anything else miscellaneous that you wanted to get out of the way? Shall we go into favorite scenes? Uh, let's head into favorite scenes. Yeah, Man, we are so efficient with these episodes, aren't we? Oh my god, we're at forty three yeah, minutes. I, right I'm now. surprised. Yeah, we're only <laughs> a little under forty five right now. Yeah. Um, okay, so our three favorite scenes. Third yeah. favorite for mine. In rising fear, Shadowath raced her grack to Garion's port, 
Falion would be coming for her. That much was certain. There was a new terror in the universe. Shadowath was not ready to face him. <laughs> oh my god. Drew, the sheer overpowering joy, this righteous glory of reading those final words, hearing those thoughts and fears from Shadowath. This was the most beautiful moment of triumph I've had since the ending of Bennett's City of Blades. And I know I bring that one up all the time. I know everybody. There's just, there's, there's such an amazing feeling of earned righteousness in this moment. And it was, it was wonderful. And this had to make my list. So there it is at number three, because I have two even better ones coming up. But go ahead. Third favorite. All right. Uh, my third favorite was the moment when Falion enters the Dedicates Keep and finds all the children. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Like, what a powerful moment. And that, again. That just, that bolt of realization when you, like you said, when you connect back to the way Borenson has been having these nightmares and oh, the reason God. focus has been given, you know, uh, it, the, yeah. the, the, the narrative parallel to the sum of all men and, yeah. the and born's Borenson's prophecy about Valian's potential darkness. Night. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. It's just so much in that moment of realization. Those are goosebumps were mountains on my skin there. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> what do you got for number second two? favorite was our opening conflict right at the beginning. Deborn's sudden warning, this ominous approach of something that we can't even comprehend in horror. <laughs> Gaborn shouting at them to run with his earth powers, hearing his final words. All of that was such an insanely uh, brilliant appetizer for what was coming. It was a masterclass in intimidating approach of a new threat. It's perfectly done. Perfectly done. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I've been that scared ever reading a book. That was <laughs> So, second favorite, my friend. Uh, Smoker versus Shadow Act. Oh, that's such a good scene. I was considering that for, for a runner-up. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah. And same with Hadassa as a runner-up. That's just so cool. <laughs> but like Shadow Act just chopping him in half and mm. then slowing down so she can, like, witness the terror in his eyes and then realizes that it's not terror in his eyes. Yeah. And she's like, oh, crap, you know? <laughs> mm. I and then oh. just... Boom. I knew it was coming. Giant fire elemental. Like five minutes beforehand, as Smoker was finally starting to really get involved, I'm like, oh, I know this is only going one single way. We have to yeah. have an example of this to make us appropriately terrified on Falion's behalf and succumbing to the, to the will of the fire in the future. So, oh, so well done. Smoker is a true 100% G, certified G. The, so. the good flame weaver. TM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. According to Murama. Yeah. Oh my God. And uh, my favorite, I suppose. He could see beyond her eyes through them into her soul. His father had used earth powers to see into the hearts of men. Now Falion used fire to do the same. I really wanted to see use this entire sequence, like chapter 49. This buildup, Shadowath finding the Guardians, Jazz's shame at leaving them behind, turning the page to, to head back to Falling at the end of chapter 48 and seeing that chapter titled The Torchbearer, the chills in that moment. But this moment in, in particular with him using his fire powers to see into the hearts of men, 
I, I don't know if it's indicative as to how much I needed things spelled out for me, but that was the moment that I made the connection between Gaborn's role to the Earth and Falian's potential role, uh, his relationship with fire, and how these positions and these powers are so symmetrical themselves, and just how much more we have yet to learn about what Farland has planned. I just, I'm, and I'm remembering again, I'm constantly reminding myself that he has just recently passed away. It's just like, God, I just, damn. I just need to I say thank you to Dave Wolverton for bringing this book into my world, wherever you are. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Heck yeah. Well, my my favorite is is less one scene and more just the sequence. Uh, the siege of and flight from Castle Quorum at the beginning. Just, you know, overnight as they see the torches of the armies gathering in the hills around and, you know, uh, Prince Anders uh, approach with the rune lords and and demonstrating you know oh, the impaled bodies and then the just the uh, looming threat as they're escaping down the secret river and and the chase like that that whole sequence it's one of the best opening sequences of any book I've read just so good. Mm. Yeah. Men's professional. So good. So good. Oh, and I, I have to meant to make an honorable mention of uh, Gaborn and Iome in their, their send yeah. in this book, yeah. which had me in tears, like literally in tears. That was so moving. It was so touching. And it was such an, a brilliant, appropriate send off. I need to drink to that one, to Gaborn and Iome <laughs> as well. Well, I think that's a good, good jumping off point then to the final draft. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm still drinking the same brew that I just drank on the uh, the previous episode that we just recorded, which was our short episode for the month of March. Um, and that was uh, Mr. Death by Alexi e. Harrow. I'm still drinking the nature of things. Sorry, just nature of things from Collective Arts. It's, it's yeah. still pretty good. Yeah. What are you drinking? And honestly, about? it fits for this book, too. <laughs> I guess. It's, it's in a very broad way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm still on my... Uh, in the one true world. Yeah. My sobriety train here so i'm just drinking some tonic water with lime again uh but lauren is back heck yeah she is again (laughs) hello and uh and she is drinking a thematically appropriate beer sweet what do you got all right so this week is a belgian style dark strong ale um and it's quite good but also a little bit strong (laughs) a little bit what guess Strong. Okay. Okay. Got you. Got you. <laughs> so it's eight point eight percent. Oh wow! And is, wow. I, I want to like give you a picture of the can. So okay, there's picture a stained glass window with like a painted for me. It's okay. a monk. It, like prophet looking dude with in a robe with his hands up. And like light coming down, and there's beer with wings. And yeah, there's okay. like a glass of beer with wings, and then there are uh, hop buds and drops of water as well, like descending from the heavens. Right, I can dig it. Okay. Um, no, no yeast. They, no. they didn't well, do a little yeast we, guy. We got yeah, we got a. There's also um, wheat or oh. you know, some sort of how barley would you, or whatever. How would you definitely uh, barley for yeast. this style? Yeah. So, uh, and this is eight point eight percent alcohol by volume. Um, it's from Level Crossing Brewing Company in Utah. Once again, this is a beer 
that we have uh, thanks to Craig from the Legendarium. If, oh, shout uh, if you haven't out listened to the Legendarium Craig. podcast, check them 100% out. 100% agree. Another true G. Um, yeah, level crossing in, in Utah. I think this is in Salt Lake, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's So yeah. the story on the, on the can is that three brothers went in pursuit of the best Belgian brews hmm. and um, brought these styles back for us from their quest. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and and I will say like, so this style originally is an, well, they call it Abbey style. And that's the word they have to use if they're not technically a Trappist brewery. So a lot of monks were the ones brewing these types of beers. Ooh. And they would use it as part of their fast. <laughs> okay. Because really? it's not a meal, so you can you can have it. Heck yeah. It's also gonna help you make it, you know, until mealtime. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this one's this one's dark and full body and banana, I feel like I can is... smell that from here through the screen. It screen's. smells really good. It I'm looking at the so look good. on Drew's face when he's smelling this thing, and it's like, yeah, yeah. This is so those types of characteristics, like the banana clovey stuff, that yeah. is generally Belgian yeast, yeah, style. It's it's oh, products of fermentation, taste, but yeah. it's also um, the type of yeast that they're using. Um, so, like, if you brew a certain way, you get certain byproducts. But this one also, like the type of yeast, it's something that it does. Oh, yeah. But uh, but after all of that, <laughs> we still have to talk about the name. Yeah. You ready we for this? Go ahead. Yeah. So this beer is called Eternal Pursuit. Oh, that's nice. I thought was, that hits nice. was fitting for the book that was basically one giant chase. And uh, yeah. And then a sort of revelation over the course of the book that this chase, this has been going on for, for much long longer time. than yep. just, yeah. This That's book. what I was going it, it is a, that was many, why I was many thousands of years. So the eternal pursuit of, you know, between the loci and the torchbearer. Very nicely done. Oh, yeah. it's, it's volume one, Drew. Yeah, yeah. So this is part of their Red Feather series, and it looks like this is the first beer in in the series. Um, yeah, uh, but I I think that brings us to the end of our coverage of Sons of the Oak. Uh, this has been episode one hundred sixty four of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Been? I said one sixty three at the top. That's what it says on the uh, uh, spreadsheet. No, on, on the spreadsheet, it's one sixty four. Are you sure about that? I was like, I was very I, I confused am. about that. I right double now. checked. <laughs> what the heck? I was just, I double checked too. Okay. I apologize, everybody. Yeah. Um, but next up, we're going to be heading right on into Worldbinder. We're going to be doing the first 25 chapters of Worldbinder, which I am super excited about. That's going to yeah. be like, if, if Sons of the Oak blew Rob's mind, I can't wait to see what he thinks of that. Oh, I love it. Um, I love it. That's going to be so good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, as I said very briefly at the top of the episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, uh, or you can do a one-time donation on Coffee. that's ko-fi, uh, you can find us there. Man, it's been fun getting back into the Rune Lords. So um, much fun, it's blowing yeah. me away. I'm uh, 
all aboard this Rune Lords train. Glad we, we picked it back up. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. And our uh, beer expert, Lauren McCaffrey. Thank you again, Lauren. Thank you. Does this count as a celebrity shot? It does. 100%. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, as always, if you want to learn more about uh, beer in in great depth, check out Lauren's podcast. Uh, uh, it's the as I, as Novice's Guide to Beer Styles. Um, yeah, lots of fun stuff going on over there. And that brings me to the end. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.